So we are in the Famous Last Words uh, uh, message series. So we're reading Paul's last letter. And he's writing to Timothy. And um, the section that we're looking at tonight starts in chapter 2. Of course, you know, this is just a letter, right? Paul didn't write chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 5, all that stuff. He just wrote a letter. But the section of the letter we're looking at tonight uh, it starts in chapter 2 and actually covers a lot of chapter 2. Now, I like to use the sandwich method. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some people call it the Oreo method, but I don't think that's good because all of the Oreo is pretty much good. But, yes, but the sandwich method is where you have a hard or a challenging thing that you have to say, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, Gary, thanks for coming into my office. Uh, we really like having you around here. By the way, we have to let you go. But tell your beautiful wife we said hi. So that's the sandwich method right there. I started off with something positive. I said a hard thing, and then I ended with something positive, and I like that. But what we're looking at tonight, Paul, he's all about the middle stuff in this section here. It's all meat and cheese and olives and mayonnaise, and there's just no bread. And so I like to have a little bread at the beginning and the end. And Paul is just, it's partly because we're in the middle of this letter, but Paul is just hitting the ground running and he's pulling no punches. And so we're going to dive into this tonight. Um, but I want to lay a little bit of groundwork uh, before we get into the actual chapter. Now, the mystery of the Christian life is that it requires more out of you than you can give. It really does. And understanding that is a breakthrough. It is a liberating breakthrough. The mystery of the Christian life is that it requires more of you than you have to give, yet that's what we're called to do. And so I'm right here at the start. Point number one, on your own, you do not have what it takes. On your own, you don't have what it takes. I told you there's no bread. There's no bread. We're right into the meat. Now, this, when you get this, when this really makes sense to you, this is a wonderful thing to understand. You're going to see why. Just stay with me. But on your own, you don't have what it takes. And when you can let go of assuming that you do have what it takes on your own, then you can actually move on. You can actually start making some progress. But on your own, you don't have what it takes. You actually don't have what it takes to follow Jesus in the way that he calls you to follow him. Let me give you an example. So following Jesus on your own, I have a 10-pound weight here. I was going to use a, a volunteer, but I think I'll just do this myself, just for time's sake. Not as entertaining, though. On your own, following Jesus is like holding this 10-pound weight out. Now, on my own, in my own willpower, I can do it, right? I can be successful holding this weight out. Now, I've only been doing it for a few seconds, and it's already more difficult than it was. And how many of you guys know that after a certain amount of time, 
my willpower will give out and gravity will win. In fact, I'm just going to set it down right now. (laughs) But following Jesus, again, hear me out here. Following Jesus on your own strength, on your own willpower, is like trying to hold that weight up with your willpower, and eventually it gives out and gravity wins. But when you surrender to his ways, to, to, you find that you can tap into his strength, his peace, his power, his love, and those have no limits, right? My willpower and my strength has limits. Trust me, it has limits. I can get up one morning and feel like I have all of the peace and all of the love and all of the joy that I could ever need. And by 10.30 that morning, I could be like, where did it all go? <laughs> Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the, the life of God, the strength of God, the love of God is limitless. It never, ever ends. And we can tap into that. So, but again, if you're trying to do this on your own strength, that's called striving. And then, at that point, following Jesus is basically impossible. This is an important thing to learn because some of you are doing this. Some of you want to follow Jesus. You want to. It's not a question, do you want to follow? You do want to follow Jesus, but you're doing it on your own strength, and you keep wearing yourself out. And you keep finding yourself overcoming, overcome with anxiety and stress and you're tired and you don't have any more grace for people. That happens to me too. And then it's like I have that knock on your head moment where it's like I'm trying to do this on my own. So this is a key thing to be able to understand. Uh, so there's a, Jesus says that you're supposed to take up your cross daily. And in that statement, there's a whole big wealth of information there. But it actually made me think of this old song that I still listen to sometimes. And the chorus to this song says this, live and we die, die and we live. Giving it all is what you've got to give. Just look to the Lord and all that he gave when he died to save you. Again, there's this mystery of the Christian life. That when you try to live, you die. When you are willing to die, and most of you know what I mean when I say that, then you actually live. And following Jesus is a life of giving it all. That's why we just sang that song. My whole life is yours. I give it all. And it's easy just to stand, to stand in here and sing a song and sing words, and they put the words on the screen, and you sing what the screen is, but no, that's actually the Christian life. And so I would be doing you a disservice if I stood up here and said, being a Christian means being blessed and satisfied in everything at all times. And you never have trouble and you don't ever have, God wipes away all your tears the moment you get saved. And you guys already know, you who have been following Jesus, you know that's not the case. And all through the New Testament especially, Jesus says that. Paul says that. It's all through the New Testament that that's not the case. Jesus said that to follow him is actually a narrow way. And few people walk that way. And there is a broad, easy path, but it leads to destruction. So what does it look like? What does it mean to be a Christian? 
What does it mean to be a Christian? Now, let's keep it in the context here. This is Paul talking to Timothy. And we're going to jump into that here in just a second. But what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means to be a Christ follower. That's literally what it means, to follow Jesus. You're following Jesus. So what does that mean? What does it look like? What does it look like in America? What does it look like in China, in Burma, in India? What does it look like in Afghanistan? Because there are a lot of people that follow Jesus in some of those other places that literally are taking their lives in their own hands when they decide to follow Jesus. So what about you and me, you know? How would we, and this is a sobering question. Again, Paul's just given us a big pile of sliced ham tonight. But that was supposed to be a little funny, but not a whole lot funny. What I'm saying is, is Paul is like, and we're going to read it here in just a second. Paul is just like being so raw in this section of 2 Timothy. Uh, as you decide to take up your cross, as you decide to be a light in a dark world, and as parts of this world get darker, it's just common sense. The light is going to stand out more as, the, as parts of the world get darker. You know, if this room, we did that kind of little illustration a few months ago with the lanterns and all that stuff. If, if we had a part of this room that was especially dark and I had a lantern and I walked back in there, well, the lantern would really stand out in the darkness. And there'll be a greater, more stark contrast between light and darkness and those who carry the light. I could put it this way, simply, if you stand up for Jesus then you will stand out in this world. And Jesus taught this. So listen to this. John 15, verse 18. He said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 2 Timothy is having, we can infer from what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy's struggling. He's having a hard time. He's facing uh, stress. Um, he might be fearful. And he might be thinking about quitting, for all we know. And so he's weary. He's probably scared. And uh, Paul has a, he really cares about Timothy, like a son. He sees Timothy as a true disciple, and he kind of sees him as a son, too. And so this is a big deal to Paul. You, you know, we're talking about his last letter. So look at what Paul says about Timothy, Philippians 2, 19. Now listen to this. Yet I'm trusting in our Lord Jesus that I may send Timothy to you soon so I can be refreshed when I find out how you're doing. Timothy is like no other. He carries the same passion for your welfare that I carry in my heart. 
For it seems as though everyone else is busy seeking what is best for themselves instead of the things that are most important to our Lord Jesus Christ. You already know about his excellent reputation since he has served alongside me as a loyal son in the work of ministry. So to get the most out of this little section of 2 Timothy we're looking at, I think what we need to do is put ourselves in Timothy's place. So imagine tonight as we go through verse by verse through this piece of chapter 2, imagine that this is a letter that's being written to you. Paul is writing this letter to you, okay? And I believe that we're going to get the most out of it if we really kind of make it personal. So like I said, Timothy's having hard times in ministry. He's got difficulties that are bringing pressure. And I know that you and I, we face pressure in our life too. We face difficulties in our life. We face things that cause stress and anxiety and worry and fear. It's all different for different people, but we all face these kinds of things. And so Timothy's committed himself to following Jesus, just like you have, but he's getting weary and maybe a little bit scared. And he's figuring out point number one. He's figuring out that he does not have what it takes on his own. So in 2017, this became personal for me. And there was a period of time, a whole season, where God had to push the stop button for me and sit me down for a while, for a couple months, and show me that I didn't have what it takes on my own to serve him. Because honestly, I kind of believed that I did. And that's kind of how I was operating. And just like with that weight... You can, you can succeed for a while under your own strength and your own willpower, but eventually it will give out. And so for me, in, 20, in March of 2017, it gave out, and I hit a wall. And I've, I've shared the story before. I'm not going to go into all the details, but to sum that all up, I, I went through that process of God showing me and then walking me through healing Aaron, you do not have what it takes. And if you want to move forward in me, you're going to have to learn to trust me and to operate in my strength. And if you don't do that, you can't move forward. And so that was a real come to Jesus moment for me. And so Paul is about to show Timothy how to get what it takes to live this life. Um, And really... The first part of this chapter really kind of sums everything up, the first two verses. And so we'll probably spend the bulk of our time digging into these first two verses, but we're going to make some tracks today too as well. So chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul said two things right there. And in those two statements, he kind of communicated everything. We could just leave it at that and talk about that for a few minutes and we would have something pretty deep to chew on walking out of here. But Paul 
unpacks this in such an amazing way, uh, and you're going to see that. So number, the, the first thing that I want to look at is the first sentence, the first statement that he made right there, strength and grace. So what it takes is strength in grace. Remember, the first point is, on your own, you don't have what it takes. And what it takes, the it being following Jesus, what it takes is strength in grace. It takes strength that comes through grace. Now, look, let's look a little bit deeply at what Paul's saying right there. Now, this is, again, this is Paul writing to you. He's writing to you. He's writing to encourage you. He's writing to challenge you. He's writing to send a wake-up call. Let's receive it that way. Paul says, be strengthened. Be strengthened is a command. Be strengthened is a command. It's not, hey, Timothy, uh, I just, I've been thinking about it, and I feel like you would benefit if you were a little more strong. No, Paul's saying, Timothy, be strengthened. Be strengthened. Second thing about this be strengthened is it is in the present tense, okay? It's not a one and done thing. It's not a, hey, Timothy, don't forget when you started following Jesus, you were strengthened way back then. And it, no, it's be strengthened is a continual process. It's something that continually happens. It's ongoing. Be strengthened is something you have to continue to do or you won't have strength. Now, again, I'm going to keep referring to this 10-pound weight over here. If I could hold that weight up and then I could continually be strengthened, then I could hold it up forever. If fresh strength would come into my arm every however long, two minutes or something, I could, but I could hold it up forever. Timothy is being told by Paul, be strengthened This is ongoing. You have to continue to be strengthened. Here's the easiest way to think about this. Here's the easiest way to apply it to your life. Every day when you wake up, you need strength for that day. Yesterday's strength was for yesterday. Last year's strength was for last year. I can't say, remember five years ago at that conference when that guy prayed for me? No. I need to wake up tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, with fresh strength for tomorrow. We, we, you know, Jesus himself said, when he said, here's how you pray, he said, pray daily. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Be strengthened is present tense. And then last of all, be strengthened is a passive command. He's not telling Timothy, be strong in yourself, right? He's saying, Timothy, you need to be strengthened. I know it kind of seems like we're splitting hairs here, but there is some real powerful truth in these details. So Timothy is is being told, look, Timothy, the strength comes from God himself. You won't make it without God's strength. So this is the word of God speaking to my life and to yours. He's saying you must be strengthened by God or you won't make it. You must be strengthened by God or you won't make it. That phrase right there, that statement right there, this is one of those, if you only remember one thing, remember that. You must be strengthened by God or you won't make it. And if you feel like you're not making it right now, look at that. 
and ask yourself, am I getting my strength from God or am I trying to do this on my own strength? Number two, you must continually be strengthened by God. Well, I, well, I got filled with the Holy Spirit 12 years ago. Well, you must be on, it's an ongoing thing. God wants to give you strength tomorrow morning for tomorrow. It's called a relationship, right? And then number three, you have to realize that your strength comes from God, not you. The name of this series is Famous Last Words. Here's some famous last words. God, I've got this. I mean, I've basically said that before. And then I fall on my face. (laughs) And God says, let's get up and maybe you'll learn that the strength comes from me. You don't have it. God's got it. His strength is where, is what you need. So uh, Paul says, be strengthened in grace, in Christ Jesus. And then he also says, what I've taught you, teach others who will teach others, who will teach others, who will lead other people to be taught and teach and teach. So what he's basically saying is, Take this truth and pass it on. Take this truth and pass it on. That's called discipleship. And do you know why Paul says that to Timothy? Because this truth was not just for Timothy. If it was, then he wouldn't say, take this truth and pass it on. He would say, this is just for you, Timothy. But he doesn't say that. It's meant for generation after generation. And it's actually meant for you and me. And so this is one of the challenges and, and one of the, uh, the commands that we have is to not only grasp this truth, but to take it and pass it on. And the truth is that the life of following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the casual Christian. It's not for the consumer Christian. And there, in our culture... There are lots and lots of casual Christians. And there are lots and lots of consumer Christians. Definitely nobody in this room. But there are a lot. But a real life of really following Jesus, you know, that life where you actually surrender everything, that's not for a casual, fence-sitting, lukewarm Christian. You cannot live for Jesus without Jesus. So Paul gives three examples of what it means to endure hard things and maintain a focus as a follower of Jesus. He gives three examples. And anybody who knows me knows I love examples and metaphors and analogies and illustrations. And so Paul's speaking my language here. So first of all, Paul talks about the soldier He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He stays on focus. He stays on mission. He remembers his purpose. He remembers his identity. He's there to accomplish something. He's there to get a job done. That's why he's there. He's not there to go uh, check out all the tourist hotspots. He's not there to go sample all the local cuisine. He's not there uh, to go see all the sites. He's there to get a job done. And Paul is using intentionally this illustration 
and applying it to Timothy in this encouragement and challenge that he's giving him. Uh, there's a, a, a story, and I couldn't find it. I was looking for it, but uh, I've used it before, and I think Pastor Sean's used it too. But there's a story of an Olympic, I believe it was a track team, and this was a long, long time ago, you know, many, many years ago in the Olympics. And in this, you know, round of the Olympics, a lot of the athletes were going out at night and going to restaurants and eating and drinking and staying up late and partying and all this stuff. And this track team was not having any of that. They weren't going out. They were taking very strict control over what they ate, over what they drank, how much rest they got, and they weren't having any fun. And somebody, I can't remember if it was an interview or just a direct question, asked them, why aren't you guys going and doing all that stuff like everybody else? And they said, because we have one big yes, and that one big yes may require many little no's. We may have to say no many times to other things in order to have one big yes. So there may be a thousand times you have to say no for your one big yes. Stephen Covey says it this way. You have to decide what your highest priorities are and have the courage, pleasantly, smilingly, non-apologetically, to say no to other things. And the way you do that is by having a bigger yes burning inside. Now, I was fortunate enough this week to have Jake Phillips and his family back in town. It just kind of worked out that way. And as I was preparing this message and got to this part of the message, I thought, man, I need to talk to Jake about the process that his family went through where they did this exact thing. They had a, there was a call of God on their life, and it required sacrifice. It required saying no to a lot of things. And so I took a little bit of time and talked to Jake about that. We recorded it. Check out this video. So we've been talking about how sometimes you might have to say a thousand no's to say one big yes. And how Paul's telling Timothy, um, a soldier that's been enlisted doesn't entangle himself in the affairs of this life to please the one who enlisted him. And so Jake here and his family have been doing just that. God called them to something that required a lot of no's in order to say one big yes. So what are some things that you guys had to say no to or had to give up in this process in order to step into this calling? Oh my gosh, so many, so many things. I mean, we had our life planned out for us. So just saying yes to God, we had to give up all of our, our plans and all of our uh, you know, this harvest that we wanted to have, that we felt like we were stewarding, we had to basically say, we're going to give up that harvest and trust that there's something else. So yeah. that included retirement. That included, you know, a house that we thought we were going to have forever. That included um, pretty much every sense of, of normal and not being able to be around our friends. And really it came down to almost every item that we had in the house. I mean, we had to piece by piece look at each thing and decide, do we, you know, we have this much storage space, like what's gonna fit? And just throwing away memories and, you know, so much of it was just complete junk yeah. in the end, but you still go through this emotional process of 
every little tiny thing. So um, almost almost everything other than a select amount of clothing and uh, that's about it. So. so I know this is probably an obvious question and an obvious answer, but was it difficult? Was it scary? Was it intimidating the idea of just releasing and letting go all of these things? Yeah, each each thing was a challenge. And as I told uh, told Nikki, my wife, I said, you know, as I'm standing here with it, I mean, when you get down to like the minor things, certainly the big things like the cars and all this stuff, but you you literally have a handful of stuff and you're like, throw away, throw away. Like I've, I've set this aside for a month and now I'm ready to emotionally deal with it. And I said, I, I've never, as hard as it is, I've never like wanted to fish something back out of the trash. And like, oh man, I really did want that after all. So, so the release, whether that was when I signed to quit my job, mm-hmm. you know, I'm agonizing over it. But the second I walked out the door, it was like no regret on any right. of it. But yeah, the process was hard. But don't look back and think, man, I wish I had all that stuff still. Like right. not, not at all. So you don't miss most of those things that you let go of not at all like it's actually in the end been a healthy process of like why why did we hold on to all of this stuff but but agonizing to go through nonetheless so what happened because you had a sense of God's calling prior to letting go of all these things what happened to your uh to that calling in your heart when you turned loose of all these things and actually took that big step like how was I empowered by it or yeah how did did it did did your awareness of God's calling on your life intensify or did it uh-huh. feel like you crossed a threshold or anything like that oh yeah i mean definitely there's an awareness that now that i've gotten rid of all of this stuff i'm i'm in position to be used by god and i have the the flexibility with my uh, I'm not, I, I mean, it is encumbering. I mean, it is unquestionably encumbering. Um, even as we've, we've moved overseas, you know, there's a, uh, a, a possibility of like reacquiring all of this stuff and ending up back in the situation you are. And it's like, we're very cautious of like this feeling of freedom that, you know, we can go anywhere, do anything, wherever God's calls us to be. Like, let's not encumber ourselves again with all of this. So, yeah. Yeah. I have those books that you gave me still, yeah. by the way. So if you ever... And you're welcome to them. I don't, I don't know that, so. so the last question is, what, and I don't quite know the best way to ask this, but what are some things, or is there something you can give as an example of something that has happened since you have, like Paul would say, disentangled yourself with the issues of life? Have you seen... Uh, anything happen you guys have moved overseas Mm -hmm. and you're functioning full-time in this area what are some things or one thing or something that's happened since that change has happened well I think to it's hard to conceptualize this but uh, something that's been sticking with me right now is that this idea that the American culture um, or just the state of modern man is like we we have the watches, you know, but what we don't have is the time. Yeah. And right. I've been right. thinking about this a lot of like, we, you know, we have all of the, the stuff, but it can like lock us in right. to, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. 
and we don't have the margin in our lives either with our finances or our time or anything like that. So I would, I would say that margin um, has allowed me to, to say a lot of yeses to things that God wanted me to do. Right. And we've been able to see uh, ministry occur and whether that's just witnessing or whatever, um, because we're not, we don't have all of these distractions and things to keep us from it. Right. So you've positioned yourself, you've made yourself more available, and uh, there's that verse I'm thinking of that says, be instant in season and out mm -hmm. of season. And that's kind of where you guys are at now. Yeah, and I think it's kind of, it's not kind of, it is this awareness that whatever God asks us to do, whatever right. we're directed at, we know that we can pour our attention and focus into that. Because you've already released the big stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, very, good. it's freeing and it's empowering and it creates the, the margin and the flexibility to just say yes to God no matter what. Yeah. That's good. The one big yes, it's worth all of the no's that you have to say. That's encouraging, isn't it? To see somebody that, you know, this is actually possible. This can actually be done. I can actually turn loose of all of these things and just go for Jesus. And so there is actually a threshold that you step over uh, where you realize nothing in this world will satisfy me. Nothing in this world will satisfy me. And it becomes much easier at that point to let go of the lesser for the greater. Okay, so we're going to move a little more quickly through the rest of this. That first part there is really where the punch is. But like I said, Paul does an amazing job of unpacking this. He also talks about an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. What he's saying there is you don't follow Jesus on your own terms. You don't create your own set of rules. It doesn't work like this. Okay, Jesus, so I'm going to follow you. Now I have a lot of things going on. Here's what I can give you. So Tuesdays from 3 to 5, and you see what I'm saying? When you take that first step of, Jesus, my life is yours, you say, my life is yours. And the way it works is you follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. And if I wanted to be real harsh, I don't want to be real harsh. But if I, want, if I wanted to be real harsh... I could say, when it comes to the Christian life, you're either a follower or a failure. Because there's no other way to do it but to follow. Because here's what Jesus does. And you see him do this through the Gospels. Jesus comes up and he says, follow me. And then he moves on. And at that point, you choose. Am I going to go where he's going or not? And so you don't create your own set of rules. If, if you want to receive the crown, like Paul's talking about, you compete according to the rules. He talks about a farmer. It's a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is an encouraging example because Paul is basically saying there is a reward and it's not wrong to expect one. Paul's saying, look, if I can paraphrase it, Paul's saying, look, this is hard work. This is a hard road to walk, 
And there is a reward. There is a return. There is a harvest. And it's not wrong to look forward to that. Be encouraged by that. All right, let's keep moving. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So again, we see Paul's amazing kingdom perspective that allows him to see above and beyond the circumstances that he's in. Because if you know much about Paul and you've read through his letters in the New Testament and the book of Acts, you know that Paul had some intense situations, right? Stuff that most of us don't ever have to deal with. But again and again, Paul has this perspective, this kingdom perspective where he's able to zoom out, see the bigger picture, see where his life is in the context of eternity, and he's able to endure and be strong. So this is the ability to see beyond what's happening right now and see God's kingdom and eternity. And, it's, and you and I need it too, just as much as Paul. We need that same perspective. Listen, kingdom perspective removes the power and influence of earthly circumstances. Let me say it again. Kingdom perspective removes the power and influence of earthly circumstances. It doesn't necessarily remove the circumstances, but it removes the the power to move you. That's why you have to be able to see things with a renewed mind, or you'll get drawn down into the details and, and, and the stress and the anxiety of what might be going on in your life. You've got to be able to see things from that same perspective. Okay, uh, let's keep reading. Verse 11, this saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he, will also, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In verse 12, he can deny you. In verse 13, he cannot deny you. Is anybody confused? What's the difference? Well, it says that he cannot deny himself, okay? There's a key there. But really, the difference is in verse 11, Verse 11 says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. What that's talking about is in that moment where you're born again, something amazing happens. And you are reborn in Christ, right? There's that verse that I love that says, in him we live and move and have our being. And then there's that other verse I love that says that talks about Christ in you the hope of glory. So there's this strange mystery paradox that goes on that when you are born again, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And so what happens is if you really belong to Jesus, there has been a mingling of your spirit with his. He lives in you. You live in him. And that's why it says he cannot deny himself. 
You can even go through a season of faithlessness and he remains faithful to you. Now, it also says you can deny him. Don't do that. Just don't do that. You are in him. When you were born again, your spirit is mingled with his. But what you maybe should ask yourself as we read through this, as we read this, this letter from Paul to us, is your life in his hands? Is he living in you? These questions are meant to locate you for yourself. These questions are meant for you to ask yourself and evaluate where you are. Where are you with God? Does he have you? Do you have him? Let's continue reading. Remind them of these things. Charge them before God. And by the way, right there, again, Paul is telling Timothy, take this truth, pass it on. Take this truth, pass it on. Remind them of these things. Charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Does that happen today? Does that? No, I didn't think that passed away. I'm a, yeah, I, I don't believe that. No, no, listen, here's the truth. Any talk any talk that interrupts someone's faith by directing them onto the path of fear is irreverent babble. That's a fairly general statement. It can apply to a lot of different things. Any talk that interrupts someone's faith by directing them onto the path of fear is irreverent babble. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. That's talk that is leading people onto a path of fear. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, remember, Paul's word to Timothy here is twofold. We're coming in for a landing. Number one, you need strength in grace, in Christ Jesus. You need this strength. You can't get by without this strength. You don't have what it takes on your own. Please don't try to fool yourself into thinking you can because you don't. That strength is there for you. God is providing it for you because he wants you to succeed. You can't get by on your own strength any more than you can fill your car up with gas and drive it forever. You have to put more fuel in there to keep that car going. You need strength that comes from grace. Number two, teach others as I have taught you. Get this, understand it, apply it to your life, and then pass it on. Make disciples, pass it on. And Paul closes this whole section that we're looking at with this reminder. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The band can come on up right now. 
If you are in this, if you belong to Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, lay aside every weight. Turn loose of distraction. Depart from iniquity. Lay aside every weight. Turn loose of distraction. Depart from iniquity. We have such an important job to do. Don't we? We have such an important purpose. You and me. Light bearers. Jesus representatives. We have such an important job to represent Jesus to this world. I, I, that, that phrase, you can either curse the darkness or light a candle, keeps coming up again and again and again in me. You know, you get on social media and, and everybody's talking about how bad everything is because it is bad. But there is a light and we carry it. We carry it. We have such an important job to do, and it affects the eternity of other people, other people. And so we have to be serious about this. All of these words that we read tonight were from a profoundly wise and anointed man written to a young man who was his disciple, who he was going to turn the weight of this ministry over to. And it was going to be Timothy's job to continue to take this good news. And thank God that he did, because we're here tonight talking about it. It got passed on, right? So all of this applies to us. All of this is meant to be a self-test. It's meant to locate you where, you where you're at. It's meant to be an encouragement because if you are feeling weary, if you are feeling worn out, this word is to tell you there is strength. There is peace. There is joy. Your strength may have run out. You're just getting your strength from the wrong place. And it's also, this word is also meant to be a wake-up call. It's meant to wake you up. It's meant to stir you up. To realize from a kingdom perspective what's actually possible. And so if any of Paul's words as a part of Scripture, it's really God's word, right? If any of these words have moved you or stirred you up or provoked you in any way, as we do this last song, I just want to encourage you to recommit yourself to following Jesus. It's a simple thing. Lay down whatever he says to lay down, and he will give you the strength to do it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. More than life, we love you, Lord. Lord, you said in your word, Romans 12, 1, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. It's your reasonable act of worship. Our worship to you is more than just words of songs. It's the whole entirety and sum total of our life presented before you for your glory and for your purpose. And God, if there's any way that we have shrunk back from that and minimized that or segmented it and made it just a small part of our life, then we repent tonight, Lord, because we love
love you, Jesus. We know you gave everything for us and we just want to give you everything. So Jesus, all we have means nothing if you're not our one thing. Holy Spirit, move and speak to hearts right now in this place. In Jesus' name.